Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Inside the Monster with Steve Peralt and Joey Capone. Welcome to episode 61 of the official Red Sox podcast, Inside the Monster, presented by Odyssey with myself, Steve Peralt, and Joey Capone. Today, we are soon to be joined by 2013 Red Sox World Series champion, Jake Peavy. Now, Joey's got a bad cough today, so Joey did not join us. Hashtag get better, Joey. Coming off in New Orleans, it it may have got the best of them. But Peavy was great. PV was absolutely great. A lot of great parade stories, a really funny Brian Butterfield story. He really dives into the mentality of being a great pitcher. If you don't know, which you should, Jake PV was a dog. He was literally a dog. He actually converted from a dog to a human. No, if he, was, he was that guy, man. He was so dominant in 2007. Really, in his, you think of him as his Padres career. And then he becomes more of the savvy vet that gets a couple of rings in 13, 14, and really just has a, a all-around incredible career, is now doing MLB Network. He's on TV, and I think he's been awesome doing that as well. He pitched for the Savannah Bananas this year. Jake Peavy's got a lot of stuff on his resume, and the best part about it is that he does an incredible job of storytelling of these big moments of his career and his life. And we get all of that in this episode. I honestly think this is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done in my life, and I don't want to put it. I always, I feel like I, I constantly am trying to, you know, oh, this interview. Jake Peavy was awesome. There's no getting around. He was incredible. It's over an hour. A lot of talk. We talk about everything. We break down uh, him facing Barry Bonds, giving up his uh, the 700th home run in Barry Bonds' career, and some parallels. You know, Pujols and. Aaron Judge going for the Triple Crown. PV won the pitching Triple Crown in 2007. So we weave in a lot of the current topics, and uh, he's just awesome. PV was was really good, and I don't want to wait any longer. We are going to get right into this interview with Red Sox World Series champion, 2007, Cy Young Award winner, all-star starter that year, Savannah Bananas legend, Jake PV. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All righty. We are joined by two-time World Series champion, three-time All-Star, Cy Young Award winner, Gold Glove winner. He's basically done everything you can do as a pitcher in baseball. Jake Peavy. How you doing, Jake? I'm wonderful, pal. How are you? I am doing well. I was going down your accomplishments, and I already knew you were a stud. I kind of grew up with, you know, you were one of the big guys. But how how awesome is it to win all this stuff? <laughs> it has to be great to have all these trophies to, to you know. It's like, this is what I was doing. I, I was this good to show everybody that might not know. Yeah, look, it, that's it's fun to look back and reflect on the career um, as a whole. And you don't really do that as you're playing, and you 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 do win some awards here or there, but I tell you, those championships are everything to me. You know, it was fun winning a Cy Young. It was fun doing it unanimous. I had a coach, Rick Sutcliffe, who pushed me hard to, he was an 84 recipient of the Cy Young Award and first put that idea in my head of being the best pitcher in the league and then um, then drove me to the unanimous decision saying, hey, it don't matter if you, if you don't win this thing unanimously like he did. He won it <laughs> unanimously after being traded midseason, yeah. which is even – uh, crazy, but no. Looking back on those, it was special, and it was it was nice to be uh, recognized by your peers in the league. But thirteen and fourteen will forever hold. Uh, just when I think of trophies and I think of my career, it wouldn't have been anything without those two years. Yeah, and we'll we'll absolutely dive into that. I did want to talk about the Padres years a little bit off the top here. I know you made your debut in two thousand two against the Yankees. Kind of a random question here. It was at Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. What is it like pitching in a multi-purpose stadium? Because I obviously we all know about the Coliseum and the reviews that that gets. So what was that like back then? You know, I, I played the Coliseum quite a bit, and Qualcomm certainly has some Coliseum qualities. But look, I thought it was the best place in America, and, and it was the nicest facilities that I had ever stepped foot in. And you know, it was this arena? You know, those old the old Bush Stadium and, you know, the Coliseum uh, you know, just with Alex Avila on MLB tonight the other night. And we got asked the toughest place he's ever played. And he goes to Coliseum in the playoffs. Those football stadiums really have a way of holding the noise and just creating mayhem in, in a bowl, you know, which a lot of the new baseball parks can't really do. Um, Qualcomm had that feel in my first start. You know, if you check the attendance out, I think it's sixty thousand plus. That doesn't happen at baseball games, and <laughs> what a what a way to get baptized. You know, here's the New York Yankees and sixty thousand. See what you can do. And 
had 20 plus family members all out there on credit. You know, we just maxed everything out to get <laughs> high school coaches. And, but what a day, you know, I, I just had a kid from a town that we have, have a ranch. I, Gunnar Henderson with the Baltimore Orioles just a few weeks ago made his major league debut. And anytime Bubba Thompson, another kid for Texas from Mobile, Alabama, and, and you watch these kids go through this and it takes you back to, you know, God, what are we talking about? 20 plus years ago now getting old that that is kind of crazy to think about but yeah no i i just remember you know padres yankees in the world series there what in the in the late 90s so it it is different looking back at those stadiums i know in your third year uh, in the majors you were only 23 years old but you were the major league leader in era what is it like being in that kind of a zone at that young an age well, yeah, 2004 was kind of a coming out year. And, you know, the first few years, you're just trying to, to get on your feet. And I was in the NL West, which was laden with Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent and Sean Green and Luis Gonzalez, Steve Finley, Todd Helton, Larry Walker. I mean, my division was just crazy of the lineups that I felt like I was facing on a nightly yeah. basis. It was far from double A, which I got called up from. Uh, pitching in Pac Bell or Oracle, you know, or, or Coors Field, trying to, to to get the Blake Street Bombers out. So those first two years were just kind of, I, I felt like I would go out and put a good start or, or two together, and then I would have that start that I would go two, three innings and, and give up a touchdown and an extra point, you know, just ugly. And in 2004, I David Wells joined the team, and Woody Williams was on the team. Kevin Jarvis, another name that maybe not a lot may know, but a great baseball guy and, and had some good years. And these were veteran pitchers that kind of helped me establish routine. And, and you know, once you get in your routine, it's easy to now get into your job and, and make things go. And, and Darrell Ackerfield, Darren Balsley, my, my pitching coach in AA, had now found his way to the major league, so I was comfortable in that relationship. A lot of good things happened, and we just moved to Petco Park from Qualcomm Stadium, as you mentioned. 2004 was the first year for Petco and, and also Citizens Bank, I believe. Both of those were 04 years, but um, – a lot of things just went right, and, and and you just you know, and I was growing. I got to the big leagues at twenty, twenty one years old, and, and now I'm twenty three. I felt like I was still getting bigger and stronger and better. Yeah, I mean it's it's impressive to be putting up those numbers at that young an age. I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but I feel like you're okay to talk about it. Giving up Barry Bonds' seven hundredth home run in that same year, of course, we got to you know talks about talk about the ups and the downs here. But There's, I mentioned absolutely. I know. Yeah, I, I, I know we're all watching and seeing if Pujols can get to 700. And as a nation, we're looking at it a little differently than when Bonds reached that number in 2004. A lot of steroid rumors going a lot around, a lot of talks of, oh, is this clean? What is it like, uh, you know, at that time for you, not just giving up like a milestone home run while you're having an all-time season, but what was it like amongst the players of how you viewed Barry Bonds uh, as an athlete? And just, is he doing it right? How was that? How were those conversations like uh, in the clubhouse? You know, look, I, I'll just be kind of broad off the top and say, I there was a lot of things going on when I got in the league that, that uh, you know, were probably blatant, obvious, if you wanted to point them out. Uh, but it was just a different time and place. So I, I don't, I never... Uh, partook in any performance enhancing drugs or, or did any of that stuff. And I can, you know, say that from the bottom of my heart, I did do it clean. And you do look back at, 
at guys who maybe weren't and, and go, God, that's not fair. Um, mm. you know, especially when you want to talk about Alex Rodriguez and then continuing to cheat and, and try to cheat the system. I have big problems when it, when it gets there, uh, you know, and then you know, suing us, uh, the union and all, but yeah. long story short is I, I, I never, I, when Barry was breaking the, the record and the, the Balco and the 04 and it, it kind of steroids was all around what he was doing. It didn't matter to me. Uh, I can tell you this. I never faced a player in 15 years that intimidated, that brought to a lineup what Barry Bonds brought to that Dodger lineup. And this is with Jeff Kent, an MVP, hitting right behind him. And yeah. Buck Showalter is walking him when the base is loaded. <laughs> it's just crazy behavior, right? And it, 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 that's warranted when you have this crazy, extraordinary talent. I don't know if you remember the Gagne at bat just hundred, you know, that was back when nobody was throwing really a hundred. Yeah. Barry just had, you know, look, he's certainly much bigger man back in those pitchers. And when I think about facing him than when I see him now in, in San Francisco. So think what you want and, and, and we all kind of know what, what happened, but God, what he was doing on a baseball field, there was nobody anywhere close that was doing it like that. Um, so I got up, in early in my career, and you talk about me coming of age, guys like that helped me. We were on some losing teams, and I got to go after him. And, and um, you know, I hung my hat when I was able to get the best in the game out or, or strike him out. And so, you know, I faced Barry that night and giving up 700. It's a little breaking ball that I was trying to steal a strike on. Um, you know, I give him – a hard time and, and say, I'm just happy you didn't play. He hit, he hit it to left center. So it, it just barely made it out. It, so it, it, it got out, but yeah, it was the first right. row. So it wasn't that great a homer. But he couldn't pimp it because he didn't no. know. You know? <laughs> yeah, he couldn't do true. his twirl around and, and do all his thing. But, um, you know, and then again, look, I'll tell you a fun story that, that we should tell because we're on this. I faced Barry in his last at bat that he ever had in that ballpark professionally. We had the game in hand and I, um, you know, I served him. I was trying to serve it in there, and he almost he had a ball right out in that, that right center field. He had about 415 feet. But yeah, we had such respect in a long run of this is, I don't know, seven, eight. I'm bad with years, but I'd faced him since 2002 on a regular basis. We knew each other. So to face him in that last at bat, us up eight, nine runs at this time, and I could give him his moment, which we he was so close to having. Um, but we embraced him running off the field after Dave Roberts caught the ball, I believe, in center field. You know, he'd give me a big hug and a lot of mutual respect between me and him because I feel like my maturity as a professional and that he, the confidence I got from facing him in those early years uh, went a long way. Yeah, if you hit a ball in right center at that park, you got it feels like you got to hit it 600 feet to get it out. And I, I'm watching these games, and, and you, we'll get to MLB Network. You're crushing it there. When you guys have these Giants games late or coming off a Giants game, it genuinely feels like. And then you got the the wind coming in off McCovey Cove. It's like you got to hit the ball 700 feet to get it out there. It's crazy. It helps you as a pitcher, of course. Oh, it was a beautiful place to pitch. Right, well, <laughs> yeah. Aaron Judge, I think San Francisco is going to be uh, players in this Aaron Judge market. If you just took the, the ballpark and only adjusted – home runs that they can do nowadays and put him as that is home ballpark. He's probably got <laughs> 20 less. You know what I mean? And that's nothing against the dude. No, it's, it's just true. Just, I watched Buster and Hunter Pence and some of the best Pablo uh -huh. Sandoval's. We had some great guys. 
Brandon Belt, big-time left-handed power. Brandon Crawford. Um, their stats should have an asterisk and say we played at the, in the biggest ballpark. And, again, windy, cold at night. The ball didn't travel. Yeah. Tough place to play there for sure. Uh, you started the All-Star game for the National League in 2007. When did you find out that you were getting the ball there, and how much did that matter to you overall in your career accomplishments? Well, you know, that was a really cool thing. I, I, I went to the All-Star game in 05, and and that was right after 04 when the game tied. And they were like, this can't right. happen again. We've got to have guys in reserve. So I was young. There was – I just will never forget sitting in that first, uh, you know, we had Tony La Russa. So, oh, four, the, the Cardinals must have won the National League because he's him and Dave Duncan and that crew, incredible coaching staff, had the All Star game. But when you have Tony La Russa and that staff at an All Star game, you're also having pitcher and catcher meetings. And like, it's, just, <laughs> it's a serious business for, for Tony. It's a real deal. Field. Yeah. That's right. I couldn't believe we had this stuff happening. But again, that first time I was in a room and it was Clemens and, and Chris Carpenter was right next to me, and Billy Wagner. And, and <laughs> look, Ichiro was like in the lineup. Billy Wagner speaks up in this picture meeting. He goes, "Fastballs in! All you got to do is throw this guy fastballs in." And I'm sitting there going, "You're left-handed, and you throw a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> of course, you're throwing that. You know how yeah. are we all getting him out. You know, yeah, does nothing, Billy. But thanks." Um, just that, that was an incredible room. And that night in that room, I said, I will be the, the extra guy that if this thing goes in extra innings, I'm a starter. So just hold me back. And I was the only guy not going to pitch in that game. In the, that game was decided. And Tony LaRusso called me down to uh, him on, on the bench. And he goes, hey, man, this is your first one. This is not going to go to extra innings. You need to get in the game. Go down and warm up. And this is like the eighth inning. And he brought me in. And I only got a couple outs, but he gave me that experience. I was super appreciative after it happened. I didn't really think I, I would. But now we kind of had a little bit of a relationship, and I loved facing those Cardinal teams. And I always, they were really good with Pujols in the middle of them now by this time, and Roland and Jim Evans, Larry Walker, David Eckstein, Reggie Sant is stupid. Yeah. Um, and so going against them and a Chris Carpenter and, and Matt Morris and the dudes they had over there was personal to me. So I'd had some good starts against him, and, and it was we always made some good eye contact, spoke to him in the tunnel. And then I knew I made the all-star team, and on that Sunday got a call um, into Boach's office. And, and uh, excuse me, it wasn't Boach. It was uh, Buddy Black. And um, went into his office, and Tony was on the phone and said, hey, man, we, me and Dave talked about this. We want you to start the game tomorrow night. And, yeah, it was just a super cool moment looking back on it of you know getting a start a game is is something super special about that and the other experiences at the all-star game were certainly far from the one in 07 when i started it yeah another moment in san francisco i feel like you had a lot of really really cool <laughs> mo i mean obviously then you end up playing it you had a lot of great moments in san francisco that that's a huge part obviously of your career but looking back on it before you even got to play for them uh, as a player i know in that 07 season you win like you mentioned the cy young award unanimously another cool thing you do is you won the triple crown as a pitcher with most strikeouts wins and the best era in the national league how much did it matter to you getting that triple crown i know as aaron judge is trying to do that now hitting-wise, being the first since uh, Miggy in 2012. Do you guys look at that differently? I, I feel like the Triple Crown, it, we're trying to diminish so many of these accomplishments. There's still a huge deal. Like batting average and leading your league in batting average, all the stuff that still matters. How much did it matter to you to get that Triple Crown in 07? 
You know, I, I don't – I can honestly say that I never was on the baseball field thinking about any kind of stat or or what was to come of that. You certainly knew the position you were in because, you know, in September of that month, I said it earlier about Rick Sutcliffe in, in the unanimous thing, the unanimous decision, like, because the reporters are, are you know – Aaron Judge is likely MVP, and they're telling mm. him that at the beginning of the month, and you have a month to finish. And if you're thinking about any of that within any of your four bats, you're beat, yeah. um, or, or trying to 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 get a result to make something happen. It's just the, the losing battle in, in my mind. And so um, I, Rick Sutcliffe just really pushed me in that last month to go, hey man, I know you might can win one. He goes, I mean anybody can win one. How many of them have been won unanimously? And went be the best in the league by far, and and it just kept me in the right mindset to work, grind, and, and forget about the nonsense. And looking back, I'm just so appreciative of that um, because who knows how it would finish that that season? Unfortunately, finished in 163 in Colorado with that 14 inning game, no replay. We might have still been our replay would have been involved. <laughs> game still, still be going playing. on right now. Yeah, double play. <laughs> I, I can't believe that. Yeah, no, that was my next question about, uh, you know, you guys end up playing probably around, what, 500 ball maybe the last couple of weeks, and the Rockies were on a ridiculous run. They they had won whatever it was, I think 12 of the last 13, and you end up tying uh, after 162. You got to go to Colorado. You're starting in that game. It ends up in chaos, but what's your mentality in a wild card tiebreaker game, you don't get them too often. I mean, I now mean, it's now it's all different. There's like three wild card teams, but at that point, it's all I. Every baseball fan's watching that one game right before the real playoffs start. Yeah, no, it was a uh, it, it was a, a shitty draw. Excuse yeah. my language. It, no. You know, we had flipped the coin and knew that that we had to go play this game if it needed to be in Colorado. Like how to take the best pitcher in the game out of his element is put him in on the top of a mountain and tell him to do what he's normally doing. Like there's just that X factor up there that Colorado stuff just doesn't. And back then, especially it just was always kind of an ever changing thing. And that was what made me uncomfortable. And I, I was so confident that year. And we had Chris Young, the general manager now of the, the Texas Rangers, who was in right behind me in numbers wise and, and as good as I was, we had a, a really good staff top to bottom, and we loved our chances. Just to side note this, we had finally, for the first time in my career in San Diego, added at the deadline, and we got Milton Bradley, who was hitting third. But in the last week, two weeks of the season, we lost Milton Bradley hitting third left field, and we lost Mike Cameron. Mm-hmm. And um, Brady Clark was was playing center field that night in, in Colorado. I, I do remember Scott Harrison, who ended up hitting a huge homer, was, was yeah. our left fielder. But – they just weren't uh, at that time the, the the Mike Cameron and Milton Bradley that, that what they were bringing production wise. So we were a little bit banged up going into that game, and then you go up to Colorado. It goes back and forth. I give up a homer to Helton to late um, in that game, a solo home run to tie it, and then it stayed tied in fourteen innings. And, and God. He, I think maybe when you ask me about the Cy Young, this you know, and you bringing something to my my mind, and I hope I'm not getting too long winded, but it's a no. podcast. I figure we can listen. Exactly. But I, I, when I think back on those seven, I think back to that plane ride from Colorado to San Diego and our season being over, and trying to console or, or 
sit with my buddy Trevor Hoffman, who had just flown a save in, in Milwaukee to Tony Gwynn Jr. And I mean, this our clubhouse was ready with champagne and and closed off multiple times in the last week of the season into like blown ninth inning saves and then you get an extra innings and and then this night to stay the course until the top of the 14th you're every time from the ninth inning on your life's on the line you go up a run you're done to hold the fort heath bell needs mentioning in that that night he had an incredible run scott harrison hits a two-run homer in the 14th now here we go again they're our locker room is wrapped and they're ready and nobody scored since then. And to give up three in the bottom half of the inning. And again, it ended on a controversial play where we're all like, he didn't touch the plate. He didn't then touch we, the plate. There's just no then chance. We immediately go in and see that he didn't touch the plate. Uh. And then to get on a plane to your season over and you go get on that bird and you go back and it's, let's go home. I, it was just devastating way for a bunch of men who who had high hopes. Who we made the playoffs in 05 and 06, but got bounced early by the Cardinals in both both times. We felt in 07 we had made some adjustments and were ready, and and then not to get that chance hurt. So maybe that's why the Cy Young is just kind of uh, you know because mm-hmm. there was not even playoffs attached to it when I felt like we could get in the playoffs and. And I knew I was the best in the league. And like, come on, boys, I, it's my turn to show up and take you for a ride. You deserve that home start, like a, like a game one. Would that, that probably would have been what, like a game three, probably back in San Diego, would have been nuts. I pitch in San Diego against Colorado. I'd probably you'd probably look at the stats. I probably had, and, and it's a different game. Yeah, uh, anywhere yeah. else. And, and look, it was actually my fifth day in that last game in Milwaukee, and I, I lobbied to start that, but it just wasn't meant to be that they, they said no we'll win today and then you'll start game one in philadelphia is how it was going to go but we, we lost and it's brutal yeah, it, i mean it, it obviously downs, that's that's the game but it's like you know i i remember that vividly but then went back to watch it last night and by golly he did not touch the base there's just no chance he t- and he'd probably has he talked about it have you guys talked about that at all you and holiday we laugh about it yeah we're good okay. buddies we're, we're on nike trip and and i love matt and and like again competing against him so long as as i was in san diego he was in colorado we love each other, but uh, we laugh about it. He knows he didn't touch the plate. <laughs> like, he, he, that. His chin, his chin got all, he like slid head first. Like, and the way he's looking back at the all. plate, it's like he kind of knows that he didn't touch the plate. And the umps right. kind of like, say, I go back I guess? and touch it? Yeah. Great umpire, too. It, it's it's, uh, it's Tim uh, McClen- is McClendon. McClellan? McClellan, right? McClellan, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Timmy McClellan. I mean, as good as umpire as there ever was. Yeah. is making that call so you know cheers for replay you know i, <laughs> I know replays could have used it a few years earlier replay is great i do want to get to the red sox obviously but you did spend five years uh in chicago how would you sum up your time there and what really sticks out to you from your uh your days in the south side well you know my hatred for detroit which we had to get through and and that i uh in and how good they were, the team that we end up beating in 13 to, to win a title, that was the team that we could never climb over in the Central. They were just so good, as as we saw in the playoffs, and it took an extraordinary effort um, to, to get over. That, uh, you know, but I loved my time in Chicago, especially 
the, you know, I, I went over there and went through an awful, I just wasn't, I was, I felt like John Lackey in Boston. John Lackey came to Boston hurt. Yeah. You know, it's why they put that in his claws. You're going to have to have this. Your elbow stinks. When you go out and you try to pitch through that, you're not this. Boston thought they were getting this John Lackey. Well, when you're hurt, you're not that guy. And you're, and so I feel like John got, you know, I went through that same thing in Chicago. If I showed up there, had immediate success um, in, in 09 down the stretch, and then in 10, I was hurt from spring training on mm. until blowing out my lap. And, and then you, you're, you're, they're like, hold on a second. You're, you're the number one, you know? <laughs> and, and so, I, I that was tough, but I went through a long rehabilitation, and in 2012, when, when I didn't think I was ever going to pitch again, and I never was the same. Like, you know, I would have killed to been any time before 2009 on the Boston team because I'd have been expecting to do what John Lester did, you know, yeah. and, and why 07 stings is because I was ready to carry the load and thought that I could help really win a title after the lad injury in Chicago. I, I thought 2012 was going to be it. I was throwing 85 miles an hour in, in 2011 off this, trying to see what I had. And so I worked hard through that winter and came back, and it was the last year of my contract, and I just thought I was going to play out because, look, surgeons wouldn't even operate on me. You know, the, mm. the best surgeons of all check and, and, and Jim Andrews and Luis Yoakum, you know, God rest. These guys were kind of scared because nobody had ever operated on a lap. It ended Kerry Wood's career and Clash Gordon and and um, Roy Halladay. You know, end up having a lap and they just never could bring it back. So I kind of uh, took a flyer and had surgery by Anthony Romeo, and he said, "Look, we'll try this, and you can probably come back and relieve. I don't know about your sustainability." And so that that's um, that was kind of leading up. That was in ten, so eleven you're a year plus out and didn't feel like it was even going to be possible. And then I worked hard through that winter and stuff just started to click in spring training. I came back and I won pitcher of the month in 2012. We had turned over a new leaf and had Robin Ventura over there. My best bud, Adam Dunn was with us. Um, you know, we, we, we had some good teams that were oh so close, but we never got yeah. the playoffs. And like, I'll tell you this. And for all the, any Southsiders listening, which I don't know if there are, I yeah, love maybe. my time. I love my time in the South Side of Chicago. It's blue collar over there, and they're the stepchildren of Bo- uh, of uh, Chicago, and I identify with that, you know. And and we were close, but no cigar, and you know, getting healthy in 2012, and I and then pitching to a, an all star, uh, you know, campaign there got me to where they wanted me back, and so I signed with Chicago before free agency, another two year deal, which got me. Um, to 13 when when I got moved at the deadline. Yeah, you get moved at the deadline, obviously, to the Boston Red Sox. Uh, when did you hear the news, and what was your reaction of, oh, I'm, I'm going to be pitching at Fenway Park. I'm going to be one of the guys uh, for the home team instead of a, an, an opponent for the first time. Look, I'm, I'll, I need to start by telling you, in 2013, my like gal was my grandmother, right? I called home on the days I started. My grandmother, I never made a start without speaking to my grandmother. I mean, this started in high school, and, and, but I called home, and, and, and she would always tell me, you tell them boys now and there, this is our year. We're going to win the World Series. And, you know, you, you tell them. Now, don't throw that ball in there where they can hit it, baby. And, and I love you. Bye, Grandma. And, and, and 
she passed away in in 13 January of 2013 and in in her bedroom she told me she loved me and I was getting ready to go to spring training with the White Sox 13 and she told me the last things that she said was when you get down there you tell them boys in that room this is our year we're going to win the world series so I went to went to 13 camp with a heavy heart but truly thinking that like hey we're gonna have a, a good team and it just didn't work out and now um i went through a, a little bit of a, a hamstring stuff and, and was trying to prove that i was healthy before the deadline because i talked to kenny and, and and rick Hahn about being moved and and there were some teams with interest if i were healthy and and um I went and made a rehab start and, and knew that there was stuff going on. And look, I spent a lot of time, maybe too much time in Daisy Buchanan's there in my time in Boston <laughs> and, uh, Daisy Buchanan's Fody calls me and she, he goes, you're coming to Boston. And that truly before any agent, before the team said anything, before I knew anything, the guy from Daisy's my best bud Fody <laughs> texted me and said, Hey man, you're coming. That's to funny. Boston, and I'm not kidding you. Within hours, it started to unfold, and I can't tell you how happy I was. Uh, you know, I had David Ross, uh, you know, who, who wasn't active at the time. He was on concussion protocol, but uh, but I, I had some familiar faces in the room. I had mo- tons of guys over there that I had huge love for, and then to come be a part of the Boston culture and tradition and play in Fenway Park, and so at the last of july i was moved and i made my debut in fenway park with the boston red Sox home uniform on on my grandmother's birthday oh wow so um yeah so like the press play thing and almost that that story was written you know when those bombs went off in april you know that all that stuff was kind of scripted and Johnny Gomes says it best when he says, man, you guys really put the city on your back and took us to this unbelievable. And Johnny said, I, I think we kind of feel the opposite of we just climbed on the city's energy in, in the back. And Fenway Park was on fire. You know, we oh. were the only game in town after the Bruins lost in the in, in the finals to the to Blackhawks. And there was just a hunger. You know, you know, everybody walked out of the garden, let down, and thinking that, like, you know, and I just – that now the Red Sox are the only game in town. We're scrapping with Tampa Bay, trying to claw in and that larger than life energy. They asked me on the network, what are you looking for? I'm like, in these last couple of weeks, man, you want to see this team having fun in the team with intensity, but good vibes and good energies and that are playing good baseball. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just about getting in. And, um, but like, you, you, you know, I'll shut up after this, but that story in 2013, making my debut in Fenway on my grandmother's birthday. There was just a, so many factors at play of like, man, this is written. I walked in that clubhouse. I tried to beat everybody there. I said, I'm going to get to the clubhouse before anybody. We were playing a late game. I got there about 1230. Normally that's beating most players to the field. But Petey was there. Salt of the and Johnny Gomes. There was three guys in the room when I got there. And uh, I, I – Petey was walking out when I was walking in down to the field, probably already in uniform and to do something. And I said hello to Johnny Gomes and, and me and Johnny had been fierce competitors at this point in time. I didn't like him. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't like any position player. I didn't know because it was just, I felt beneficial for me to kind of not like of you. I, I did better against you. Gives you an edge. Yeah, that's right. 
And uh, I say to Johnny, how you doing, Johnny? What's going on? And uh, he said, man, I'm doing great, P. It's another day close to the parade around here. And we, I said, just kind of got through that and, and said, look, I'm happy to be here. Whatever, man, I'm, I'm on board. Walk over and, and I got put next to Johnny Lester and, and Salty Lamacchia was in, in the, the corner kind of across the room. And I got over to Salty and me and Salty introduced and, and I said, man, what am I missing? It's July in Boston. What kind of parade is Johnny talking about? <laughs> and I truly had no idea that he was talking about it. And Salty looked at me and he goes, he's talking about the World Series parade, man. He goes, we're winning the World Series here. And I, at that moment, I had this, like, I knew it was true. Like, I, I looked at him and I go, that's exactly what I'm here to do. Um, I truly can get emotional thinking about it because of my grandmother and just that story. It, it just all was too good not to be true. So we at kind of that whole, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but the, I mean, we had shirts and, and oh. press play, like, don't get in the way of this. It's written. Just do what we need to do accountability wise to make sure that we have no, um, way of, of getting in the way of this thing kind of deal. And, and that just became about accountability within the the brotherhood. A couple tugs on some beards and hoist the trophy. <laughs> that was that whole run was incredible. And I, I think you being a part of it mattered so much because not only did it bring a veteran and a guy that's kind of been there, done that, but it was you just kind of fit that personality of the team. You talk about the beards, the bearded brothers, all of that. I didn't know that story about your grandmother. That's crazy, especially that it was her birthday on your debut. That's right. that's pretty wild. How much do you buy into the baseball right. gods stuff? Because I know well, certain I, players don't and some do. If you don't believe in the gods in general after that, what I just told you, like you can't make this up. And, yeah. and, and, and it's just, like you said, there's just things in life that we all have to acknowledge. We're very small in the grand scheme of it all, you know, and, um, and we have it relatively easy in, in our worlds, no matter as bad as we think we might have it. Yeah, that, that, that was why I uh, felt to add that, but we do have it very relatively easy. And I, yeah. I, I'm in one, that that um believe that that you know we're we have this spirit in us that that like i'm not i'm not preaching in any way believe what you want to believe but the baseball gods are real yeah. <laughs> they are real um <laughs> and i say it all the time too and the baseball gods have a huge part in this is there's two types of baseball players there's humble ones and there's those that are about to be humble yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. What was your favorite part of that run, that 2013 postseason run? I know you get a start in each series in the DS, the CS, and the World Series. Uh, you're pitching in Tampa in that clincher uh, for the That's ALDS. the only – that's the – yeah, that. Yeah. And, and then the World Series start, bowing our neck and, and getting out of bases loaded jam and stuff. I, like, I hope people understand. Yeah, getting hit for there hurt, but – Yeah. Uh, uh, early in that start. But I, I take pride in that World Series start of Ben, don't break, and, and – if people know one thing, we were we held our, as much ground as we could possibly hold. And I don't remember getting out of a bases loaded no out jam at really any point in time in my life. But <laughs> if any point in time you know you need to get out of it, when you're in the World Series and one on the road, um, and then to come back and be in, the, it, we lost that the way that game got lost. And, oh uh, my god! Nice, we got some nice fines after you know a game shouldn't have ended like that in May in terrible. Miami, much less the World Series, but. You know the the Tampa the the Detroit start was just awful um, uh, in, in that 
in that grand scheme of things, the Tampa Bay start, I, I certainly take pride in of, of if we don't win that game down there after the walk-off um, in game three, we have to come back and face David Price. And, and David mm-hmm. Price was death for the Red Sox at, at this point in time. And, and so, um, you know, me and Salty got, you know, six innings down in, in, in there, getting into the sixth inning and, and, and doing what we were supposed to do and, and us finding a way to win and celebrate there was huge. But my favorite part of, of that are the relationships from Tommy Mack and their whole clubhouse staff, um, just uh, the, the training staff, you know, just getting to be back in Boston and see Russell um, Noah, who put his hands all over me and, and allowed those championships to, and all of us to make these things work. Mm. Every relationship, Jack McCormick um, to the front office and the PR personnel and Sherry Catherine. I mean, there's we, Mag Ryan, we were such a family from, from like all of those people. And then the players, the relationships that I have with these boys and the opportunity to play with all of these guys that I have, so much respect for and we are now the best of friends of 10 15 guys that really genuinely were uh you know not all alike in life but we just were bonded in a way of of we're going to make this happen and will it to happen and and i'd never experienced that so to have that and then that just spilled to all the names that, that I, and I, I can't even believe I just got into mentioning names because there's too many from doctors <laughs> to Dave Brady and the, the security team. And it was just this monstrosity of big time love for each other and energy. And like all of those people knew we were going to win the world series. Like, you know what I mean? And it was a part of yeah. their uh, daily walk in life and no matter what we were doing. And so, Man, that's just what stands out to me of like, man, I, I felt like I was home when I got there. Like you said, I had so many other dudes that were kind of edgy that made some money and, and didn't need a whole lot of anything else. But, you know, when I told you in 05 and 06, we got bounced by the Cardinals. When we got to the World Series, I stood up in the room and I said, I owe these guys. Like, I want to come through. Same with Detroit, you know, and, and John Lackey starting Detroit, you know, just – that but Mike Napoli in that clubhouse right behind me after I said that he pipes off in Texas you know almost got it done that Nelson Cruz play in right yep, field yeah you know and Nap yeah. goes I look don't stop now these boys are, are you know I owe them too and we it was just a beautiful brotherhood of guys that were but we had fun after it too I think about it. Think about me and Matt walking down Boston and hit with his shirt off and, and thinking, God, and the next day I didn't make that picture. No. That, I mean, now that we're on the celebrations, obviously got to ask about the duck boat. So it, that, when I think of Jake Peavy in Boston, I think of that race start, shutting it down and getting into the ALCS. And I think you buying a duck boat after you guys had that parade in Boston that you talked so much about. When did it hit you like, I want to buy this thing? And then what's the whole process of getting that back home? Well, we had, I mean, and this is a true story. Again, you can't make this up because we hung out so much in suites of hotels. That we didn't go out ever. You know, it was far gone in our careers of, of going out to bars. And the only time we left is when we went and had a big, nice dinner. Um, and we would, again, there would be 15 of us at a steakhouse and, in Toronto 
and maybe more than 15. And we would leave out of there and, and a couple of us guys would probably pick the tab up and we would leave 15 and, and Brian Dempster would have this plan of, look, we're going to Brian Butterfield's room. But we knew Butter went to bed super early. This is an off day in Toronto. And we went and had Petey knock on Butter's door and act like that he was struggling and wanted to talk to him about hitting. And we had the whole team in the hallway right outside the door. And when Butter opened the door to let Petey in, we bum-brushed him. And everybody piled him on his bed and it was just – just give him the nookies and then we got off of him and Dent took control of the room and Dent was like butter we just left the big show dinner and we're winning the world series and we're not sure if you're ready game seven you're gonna call these signs right down there give it to us and he's in his underwear you know i'm ready boys and, and that that's just i don't know if that's happening or will i hope it happens today and, and but when I, I, I see clubhouses today and I see everybody on their phones when I'm, I'm yeah. in there and, and I, I, I know that 15 guys aren't going out to dinner on an off day and, and, and just that camaraderie that that builds is, is huge. And we had that in, in a monster way. And so we sat in these suites and Johnny Gomes, this one night, I had this ranch in Alabama and Johnny Gomes said one night out loud, and that's where the idea really originated. He goes, man, when we win the World Series and we have this double, you should buy your duck boat and take it to the ranch in Alabama. We, meanwhile, like in the winter, we all came, like uh, these guys would all come down in January and we'd spend a long weekend on the ranch and what we call guys weekend, you know, good, clean fun. That's where the duck boat got its first paint job by Johnny Gomes. But go. long story short, he says in about August, you should do this. Then it's we actually win. You win on October 30th. That spills into the wee morning hours, yeah, mid-morning hours of the 31st. You get some sleep. And I got up and we took the kids out for a little bit. And, and I mean, it, it, it trick or treating in downtown Boston. It was amazing. Then put them back to bed, back to daisies, back to the boys and mayhem. You know, and then... <laughs> Um, now it's parade morning and day. This is the day of just sheer joy. And, and I get there and, and they give us me and Lester are on a boat together and they give us six tickets apiece. You know, you get a, you plus five others. And at this point in time, I had three boys or, uh, yeah, but only three at this point in time, um, three boys and a wife, my brother and his family were there. My parents were there. My grandparents, you know, and I just couldn't imagine waving to them on a corner and I'm going to be in, in this uh, great space for four to six hours. And, and um, that's really when it became uh, I spoke to the driver of the, the boat. I, I was figuring out I wasn't going to get six people on uh, any more than six people in this boat. Didn't matter what had happened because there was some ownership folks. You know, there was this thing was yeah. planned out. Yeah, and, and I, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, um, but I was also wanting the experience. Like life experiences and memories are everything to me. Um, and man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I spoke to the owner of the drive of, of the company through our bus driver. She put me in touch with a female who owns the company. We negotiated a price. I had checks there. Um, she just uh, took the World Series title as my check, and it'd be good. And uh, I wrote a $75,000 check 
before uh, that parade that morning and that duck boat became mine the the owners uh previous owners displayed you know let the red sox know that i had made this purchase <laughs> and i was able to weasel some more people on my boat now um and so you owned uh, it by the parade by the parade you technically owned right. it. that's awesome oh, i, I didn't had know to, that. to get my family on it to, yeah <laughs> to be like look i hate to tell you guys but this is my boat now <laughs> and, and and me and john are gonna get the proper people on here and you guys can come that. too. Like we actually can put more on my boat. We'll break the rules a little bit, you know? Yeah. And look, I'll tell you another thing about it being our boat is and speaking of Daisy Buchanan's Joe Semino had, had at, at the after party. He goes, I, I love the Red Sox so much. I, I want to put Daisy Buchanan's on, on there and we'll, we'll get some, some good play of this. We spent too much time in this place, not so on the back of that duck boat. It had a big sign. It said, Daisy Buchanan loves the Red Sox. <laughs> Just in proper form, you know. But what a wonderful day. Like that day, I just remember and telling my dad, make eye contact with these people and this sheer joy. And, you know, you know that there had to be so many people that the last time we gathered like that in the streets was Marathon Monday. Yeah. And so it was just emotional and Johnny putting the trophy down and, and saying, look, remember and tell people, hey, this is where the bombings happened. But don't forget to tell the rest of the 13th story of, man, we overcame as a city and celebrated not too long after and, and commemorated and, and remembered the fallen ones and the heroes. But, you know, it, Boston, what a badass story. You know, I mean, the city just shut down. How cool was that? You know, I wasn't even Insane. a part at this point in time, but like, that, what a display of power of stay home, stop, time out. We're going to, this doesn't happen here. And then the powerful Ortiz speech afterwards. And, and you know, you, it was just amazing. You know, the, the, all the way down to Johnny Gomes and the Boston Strong, you know, just a, like I said, the, the story was written. Um, we were just happy to all be a part of it. You couldn't script what how that season went. Like you really That's couldn't. Right. It, it, I I wouldn't believe it. Just like I was just lucky to be in Boston when that was going on. What you guys were doing, and I I don't ever want as the years go on, I never want it to be like overdone. It's like because it's not being overdone. What the Sox were doing mattered so much to Boston. Like I can't remember a sports team and a run mattering more to what was going on in the city. It was just in language. Right. That's right. It was just a, a huge synergy between all of us. And, and like I, I mentioned earlier that Johnny said it properly, when we got on the backs of that energy and knew that there was something here in our fan base and in the city. And, and you, you look at when Houston pulled it off amongst the tragedy and you, you, you know, you just look at, at any point in time, that a, a city's been through something and, and, and sports uh, we know kind of brings us together and helps us all feel like we're one, you know, kind of heartbeat. That's, that's what was happening there um, in, in a huge way. And like you said, we're all just lucky to have experienced it. I, and I, I hope that people remember it like that because it wasn't 04, you know, 04 is just that, you know, but I the the full thirteen story is just an amazing story of what Boston is. It's title town, and and then don't don't mess with us. Come here and mess with us, and we're we'll shut it down and 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 make you pay. And local law. I mean, I just thought it was badass. Um, and, and like I said, to come I, when I 
when I took my jersey off, I had the the black, you know, ball, uh, the the blue, um, you know, Boston police stuff there yeah. proudly across my chest under my jersey because of how much just the whole movement meant. Only a few more uh, for you. You've given us a ton of your time. Really appreciate it, Jake. I know in 2014, uh, you get dealt to the Giants. You become the second starting pitcher ever to win two consecutive World Series championships with a team in each league, which I thought was interesting. What was your favorite part about uh, being on that third World Series title team in five seasons for the Giants? Well, look, it, when you talk about me believing in baseball gods and everything, so my father and grandfather wore the number 22. And, and I wore that all the way up through high school, through my minor leagues, when you pick your number, until I get in the major leagues. When I got to the major leagues, I didn't ask for a number. I just had number 44 in my locker. Seemed to be fitting because I'm from Mobile, Alabama, which is where Hank Aaron is from. And 44 is a big deal here. Willie McCovey's also from Mobile, and he wore 44. I wore 44 all the way through that Boston championship, and now I get traded to back to – san francisco and i when i say back to my original manager for the first six seven years of my career was bruce bochi he's now in charge out there and has is having success and so um, very familiar situation that i was going to i was going to the man that had raised me and i, I knew what he was valued in the game and i it just was heaven sent i also play music a little bit and it's just kind of therapy for me and I've been along the way, the guy who taught me to play guitar and gave me my first guitar at 20 years old was the third base coach in San Diego, Tim Flannery. He was now the third base coach for the Giants and the <laughs> band was back together, you know. So um, my favorite part was linking up with those guys and being the only trade that, that San Francisco made and feeling like you had a lot of the recipe and, and the, the will um, – to make it happen and, and, and joining a group of, of guys that that had already achieved that as well. It was just heaven sent. And it, I was just, uh, I went on a really nice run statistically in the second half there with those guys. Um, and uh, when I, again, I tell you the baseball gods are funny. I got out to San Francisco and the first thing they tell me when I walk in, I say, Hey guy, we, you can't wear 44 here. It's retired. Willie McCovey. Yeah. Who's from your hometown. You'd like to meet him. For the first time, he's in the hallway. He wants to say hello to you, uh, along with Willie Mays, and just it was. That's crazy. Uh, it was just uh, oh, it was amazing. Um, but I couldn't wear his number, and so I, I said, "I'll oh, wear twenty-two. I, I, surely twenty-two is retired. It now is retired in San Francisco." But I got to go, but and I couldn't believe it because I love Will Clark and I was a huge fan. But I. I it wasn't because at that time you had to be a hall of famer for your number to be retired in San Francisco and will didn't quite make it, make it in. It should be. Um, but anyway, I got to wear 22, my number that I had grew up wearing um, in San Francisco back with my original manager back. I mean, I had games where I pitched in Oracle park and I went and played the Fillmore with, Phil Lesh and Tim Flannery and, and like it was just the most heaven sent of music baseball um, hippie experience that man I, I when I told you I felt like I was home in Boston I, I, I again found a second home on the West Coast in, in San Francisco with that whole scene um, musically and look they loved the Giants out west and they loved mm. us and we were 
three and five years, you know, was considered like putting a cap on a little dynasty run and, and to get to play a part in that was, was rather cool too. And, and, and look, to tell you like another thing about how that Boston 13 team worked, what John Lester and David Ross did to have so much success in the playoffs, I promise you I took that same philosophy and to Madison Bumgarner I'm not, and, and Buster and was saying, look, this is the way these guys decimated lineups in the league, and let's do a lot of this, um, you know, if we can. And, and, you know, Bumgarner was a big Leicester fan, and, and so he was all ears. And, and, and um, then you think about we had to get past John Lackey and the Cardinals and, and get past and – then, and, and, and then four, uh, 14, I left – that 13 team and one in 15, the Kansas city Royals, who we beat in 14. They should have beat us. They couldn't. Who did they sign? None other than Johnny Gomes, <laughs> Johnny Gomes, huge factor in those guys getting in the playoffs. And then even when he got left off a roster here or there, he spoke at the world series parade because of how influential he was 16. Again, 13 teams all over it with Blackie and Lester and Ross leading that charge to do it in Chicago. Who'd they play? Andrew Miller, Mike Napoli on the <laughs> other side in Cleveland. That team had a bunch of dudes that really understood um, baseball, being a professional, uh, uh, accountability, and, and friendship. And when you yeah. combined all of those things – um, which all of those guys I just mentioned for five or so years or a couple, you, you know, you just see this trickle-down effect of those guys were just all up in the playoffs and winning again and again when we were able to unlock that code in Boston. That is that is very awesome. Back-to-back -back parades has to be pretty great, too. I can't really, <laughs> can't really beat that. Um, Look, I miss the team playing home from uh, – I, 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 um, we had so much fun. Winning in Boston – was amazing and I wouldn't have had it no other way but in and there's nothing like that first time nothing yes. like it yeah. and but winning game seven on the road in somebody <laughs> else's ballpark and hearing <laughs> that place go completely silent and then you got about 300 fans and friends that you can now for the first time hear because it's so silent and you're celebrating on that field it, we uh, again that was the second time it happened. I even tried to get more people there. I had people at the wazoo and it cost me a pretty pity on getting back to San Francisco. Cause we went so hard. We missed the plane back and it left at like four, four or something. So awesome. We got back the next day and in time for a, a beautiful parade, uh, down in, in San Francisco. Um, the, the parade in San Francisco had some amazing artwork, uh, that we probably shouldn't get into here, but it, it just, uh, <laughs> they had some like the opposing teams announcers and some of the national broadcast announcers that they didn't feel like liked us. And oh, then they okay. would put their they would put their faces on these big cardboard signs <laughs> and they would be doing all kind of acts with them. It was it was fairly it was incredibly creative. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. only, you know, San Francisco and the West Coast would bring out that that's a highlight of that parade out there. Yeah, creative's a good word for it. That's for sure. I know uh, you were with the Savannah Bananas earlier this year, <laughs> and I didn't go. even realize this when you you used your gold glove, which is awesome. What a badass move! You're like, <laughs> I'm going to use my gold glove. What was that experience like? 
Well, look, I, I got to know Jesse Cole um, as he started building this Savannah Banana brand. And I thought it was genius from the first time hearing it. And if you say the words fun to me, I, I'm listening. You got me. I like fun. And, and man, everything Jesse does is fun. And, and I had kind of walked away from baseball thinking that it was getting stale and it was really uh, analytics were just stripping the, the complete soul. Uh, we just talked about 13 and we didn't talk about any analytics. We talked about the soul of what happened. And that's what we love and what I, we recognize with as fans, not these numbers that these robots put up. And, and so and I'm not hating on analytics because I believe there's a marriage and compromise in it all that we're, we're going to find. But again, I was just kind of burnt out and this was a completely different idea and entity. We were looking for things to do. I'm on the board over here at Hank Aaron stadium and we've lost our double 18, which has been awful, but we're trying, we're, we're Hank Aaron's name and his stadium is going to live on. And, and I'm trying to make that a, a, a priority. And, and so the Savannah Bananas were somebody that, that um, he, we did a one city world tour to Mobile. It was the first time they took the show on the road. And, um, and I've just had this friendship with Jesse ever since, and he's been trying to get me to play. And then I have a little boy that's eight years old who don't remember. He was born in that championship, 14, he was born. So uh, he really doesn't remember dad playing at all. And he wanted me to play with the Savannah Bananas, and, and they're his favorite team. So um, here we go. This 41-year-old got out there, and <laughs> Jesse wanted me to come with style, and, and uh, I, I didn't know any style. And style was, you know, I'd grab the gold glove off the trophy case and just said, I'm going to go pitch with this thing. I'll probably need to show it off because they're going to be hitting the ball at me so hard. Because Yeah, I, I, think uh, it's, I don't think you were style. You were a dog out there. It was really yeah, about style. It was well, about attacking these right. guys. That's uh, right. I just couldn't. I'm like, Jesse, look, I love what you're doing, but it just never was my mode of dance on the field, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I don't know if you saw Papel Bonds now join the madness. And the yep. Savannah Bananas are coming, and they're coming in a big way. They're going to sell out Fenway Park. I promise you, your audience is going to – in 2024, I would even be um, a, a, a bold in saying, but it would not surprise me that yeah. in 2024, if these listeners are, don't have a, a, an opportunity to buy Savannah Banana tickets at Fenway Park, and it's going to sell out. You can book it. And if I can help it, and I've got a lot of ideas and I hadn't even talked to Jesse about, and this is getting me excited about it, as you obviously can tell, but I certainly am, am going to be there for that day. I don't know mm. if I'm a banana or a party animal. I, I kind of mentioned this on a tweet the other day. Like, I don't know if I'm a party animal because that's who the Savannah Man is play. Yeah. But how much fun would it be? for Pedro to be in uniform and oh. David Ortiz to be getting in at bat in this game. And I, I promise you when these guys see and feel this and when their children see and feel it, it's fun around the game of baseball that we like. Yeah. So if you're a traditionalist and you don't want to come, that's fine. But if you have children and if you're into entertainment um, and good competitive baseball, and if you want to make a play in the stands, it can count as an out. You're in the right place, and I'm telling you, anybody that that has ever come and been a part of this with me has been hook, line, and sinkered because, again, we're all about fun. We all have to work, and we all have got to be adults and balance life, but we all are little kids and want to have fun, too. The Savannah Bananas are like fun from 
dad age on down to the yeah. smallest of those. And they're like Pixar. Like everybody loves it. Doesn't matter what age you are, it definitely works. They've taken over baseball in a way that I've never seen for a non MLB thing. It really is pretty crazy. I, and I know yeah, you more mentioned more TikTok followers than any major league franchise. Yeah. It's insane. And it, but they exactly. they target that specifically and do an incredible job of it. You mentioned a fan catching a ball and having it being out. I remember uh, your now buddy Greg Amsinger mentioning this to me when I I talked to him. God, this must have been six years ago. And I was saying, what's one rule that you think would make the game great? And he says, bottom of the ninth, two outs, full count, foul ball, fan catches it, the game's over. And I remember him talking about that. And so for it to actually be a thing is a little crazy. I wanted that to transition real quick to your time with MLB Networks. I think you've been awesome seeing you on there. there I mean, I, and I'm not just not just saying that to suck up. There are some players that get on TV and they're a little stiff. You seem to just be yourself up there. But how has that transition been to talking about the game uh, instead of playing, even though you're still uh, playing with the Savannah Bananas? Well, it, look, it's made me fall back in love with the game uh, again because I watch it honestly from my opinion and and or, or my view vantage point and get to reflect on that because that's what I'm there to do. I'm not there to, to, to compromise on analytics. And you don't want to hear me read stat sheets out there. I, you know, I had a call yesterday with my coach um, who's helping me up there. Bruce Kornblatt has helped a lot of great uh, TV people. And, and I want, I care about what I'm doing and I want to be a good representation and, and good for our game, grow it. Um, I, I think I've got to be a little bit more of myself and not play it as conservative as I have. Um, at times because I'm a been authentic. Player. I don't think you're holding back that much. Well, I appreciate that because I, I am, I, 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 I take pride in just kind of being here. It is. Um, and, and that's, it's not an egotistical way. It's just hey, it's straightforward. I'm going to be honest with you and you be honest back. If we're not going to be that way, let's just don't talk. Yeah. Um, and, and so I want to bring that to the air, uh, you know, but again, I also have this deep respect for the game of baseball and how tough it is to play and how you just can't, uh, quantify all of this and there's human element involved and there's this soul and will to win inside these players that you can't measure. And, and, and so I, I've, it's, it's hard getting analytical and, and, and really criticizing somebody when I've been out there in the same moment and failed time and time again, and know how hard it is to actually do what these guys are doing. So I'm going to find a balance and I appreciate you saying that I've had an absolute blast doing it. Um, because I get to be a fan at, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. And I get to watch the entire league and have, you know, uh, get to know all these teams and all the, the young players in the game is just full of so much young talent. It's, it's fun to watch for me again. Yeah. No, you, you really crush it up there. And ideally, they can have you on more. Uh, last question for you. We always end with a trivia question about the player's career. I'm sure you know the answer to this. I just kind of want to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, who was your first career strikeout in Major League Baseball? Do you recall who that was? I do. That Yankee start. Um, yep. And this got my whole career off to a great um, start. And I talked about what Barry Bonds did for my confidence, what Derek Jeter did for me. And, and so graciously swinging and missing a few times. <laughs> he made a, a young kid that didn't, wasn't sure if I belonged because Alfonso Soriano, welcome to the big leagues, fastball off the wall. He's standing at second. That 60,000, they weren't Padre fans. There was 10,000 of our normal Padre fans that came, and there were 50,000 Yankee fans. So the place immediately went into this, oh, God, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> um, 
And Wicky Gonzalez calls another fastball to start Jeter off. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just, they like, do you see what just happened? Let's throw the other one. And and I threw that slider and he swung and missed. And and I swear to you at that point in time, I'm like, all right, well, we've got to do that again. And, and he swung and missed. And then again, he swung and missed at a third slider. And at that point in time, I thought I had uh, – it's Derek Jeter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, man, this works here against him. Let's do a lot of this, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, that start was crazy. Give up a, another hit to Giambi and give up a run, then was able to throw about five, six hitless innings until Bernie Williams doubled. And so you remember it all. You, you remember lost, it. Are you one of those pitchers that remembers nothing, like every yeah. at bat? Do you remember like all yeah, of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're so personal. Like I, yeah. I, I try to explain that, and I'll, I'll, I won't get long winded. The pitcher, I knew everybody in the in the major leagues, and and why I did that is because there was only twelve pitchers on each team. There was mm. five starters. I certainly knew those guys. They were doing what I was doing, and I knew the relievers. I knew every player in the league because I faced every player in the league. It, it, it's different than the shortstop playing against another shortstop. I would tell my dad, I go, Dad, Bobby Cox just wrote down in his office in there his best nine guys, he thinks. And guess what I'm going to do? Walk out in the centerpiece of the field and say, okay, Rafi, for call, come on, me and you, pal, get in there. And we go at it. All right, you're out. I'll see you later. Marcus Giles, you come on. It's a personal thing, me to you. And and so a pitcher knows the league like that. And and I feel like when you think about pitchers having memories – they were, they were personal experiences that you had with that guy, and you, you know, if you won or lost most times. That is, that's great. I, I just love that mentality, that me versus you mentality, and you could see it out there. You obviously had that, and you carried well, that and, with you for your career. And the center fielders, while all that's going, I, I'm not taking anything away from a center fielder, incredibly important, but he's just standing there and going, it might catch five balls a night, and there's, there's not like, he does connection, yeah. Yeah, you know, I had to eat and breathe and sleep what these guys, you know, had to get into those interactions. Whereas, you know, they have to know where to stand. You know, oh, this is this guy in the lineup. We'll move here. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah, it's different. pitchers. It's that's that's pitchers. You know, you can get the wins and losses. The lines are made on that guy in the middle of the diamond. I love all these position players. I love them. But that pitcher's mound is the greatest place in the world, and it can be the loneliest place in the world, too. Oof, and I, 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 I told David Ross at one point in time in Oakland, he'd come out there and he got on his knees and he, where he wouldn't show me up, and he just started giving it to me. Jeez, what is wrong with you? And I go, do you want this? I will gladly put that shit on, and you have this, and let me go back there and say, throw it right here. Not right here, right here. You know, do it like this now. <laughs> so that was good pitcher catcher uh, battles and then position players. But like you said, it works best when that Boston team, we were all, it didn't matter, pitcher catcher, we didn't our first baseman, it didn't matter. Nothing like that that 2013 team, I'm telling you. Jake, So thank you so much uh, for your time. You gave us so much of your time and, and you really meant so much to the fans in that 2013 season. Anytime we get to talk about 2013, it's the best. It just, it's just different. That season was just different. It was its own thing, and you, you were a huge part of that. And hopefully we see you back with the Bananas at Fenway Park. I didn't even think that they would Look, be doing MLB tours. Is that in the, the talks, maybe? 
it's in the works, but it has okay. to be. This fan base is growing, and it's growing our game. It's getting young people excited about the game. So that's what I'm super excited about. But uh, I appreciate it. And look, to, to Red Sox Nation, it is just an honor for me to even be thought about in the short time. This is the shortest time that I played in any – and I, I feel beloved in San Diego and Chicago, Boston and San Fran, but only have a year in Boston, but – what a memorable year buying the duck boat. I, I got Boston down here in a development in Mobile, Alabama. It's with me every day. You know, uh, it's got a beautiful paint scheme on it and, and, and gets displayed proudly of where that 2000 story, uh, 13 story will live on. So I appreciate you having me. So, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Hopefully we see you at Fenway. I want you on the mound with the bananas. That needs to happen now. I know you've done it, so you have the experience. We'll see you at Fenway with the bananas. You got it. You can book that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. want to thank Jake Peavy for giving us a lot of his time today. That was a really fun interview. He's just a great dude. What an awesome guy. All around, just great personality. He was, for a guy that was so intense on the mound, a very thoughtful, caring, well-spoken, chill guy off the field. Those are interesting combos. You look at someone like Papelbon. I know he mentioned Papelbon briefly there. Who's just a nut 24-7. And constant chaos surrounding Jonathan Papelbon. He's always flipping out, and he is constantly going a thousand miles an hour. It was really nice to just have people. He was he was in his kitchen there, just chilling, had some coffee. It was just a great conversation. Just a really nice convo with someone that was an absolute baller when I was growing up, and you know one of the best pitchers in baseball. In 07, he was untouchable, just absolutely filthy. How that season ended, it's really tough. And I'm, I'm glad he opened up about that and was honest about, you know what? 2007 was great, but it just absolutely sucks how it ended. And I think athletes are, they don't want to always talk about the bad times, but I like when they're honest about how much it still sits with them because it's not all all dandy. Even someone for PV that's got two World Series rinks, got all the trophies, He's got a duck boat on his ranch. I think they got a cable car as well in 2014 uh, from San Francisco when they won that World Series. So he's lived a great baseball life, but he's, you know, very open and honest about the tough times and, you know, about grinding through some really difficult points of his career. And, you know, you look back on it and it's it's a hell of a baseball life and it's still going. And shout out to Jake Peavy for being that dude, for giving us a lot of time and Hopefully get to meet him in the near future. If he's at Fenway, that would be great. But yeah, PV, that was great. That was that was awesome. That was a fun time. Uh, next, you'll hear from Joey and I. If Joey survives, uh, this this coffee he's got right now is after this Red Series. Red Sox, Reds, a battle in Cincinnati coming up here. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's uh, you know a few games closer to the offseason and all the drama that's going to come with rumors and all that. 
16 games left when we record this and the countdown begins for hopefully a successful 2023 season. But that'll do it for episode 61. For Joey Capone, I am Steve Peral. Go Sox, kid. Inside the Monster is a production of Odyssey in partnership with the Boston Red Sox. The show is produced by me, Steve Peralt. Our executive producer is Lena Glazer. Mixing and video editing by Joey Capone. Special thanks to the Red Sox and Major League Baseball for their contributions to the production of this podcast. (laughs) 